Hello, welcome to Banking Payments and Wealth Spotlight, a podcast from Capgemini Financial Services that looks at the latest trends in banking and capital markets through the lens of some of its leading experts. I am Mary Ellen Harn, and today we're going to talk about the key findings from the World Fintech Report with leading social media influencer, Theo Lau, along with Elias Ganim, Capgemini's global head of the market intelligence team, who each year produce the World Fintech Report. There's no doubt that we're in unusual times, but unusual times do present opportunities. And in our research, we've learned more about how digital has come to the forefront and what banks could do to create experiences that make customers want to come back for more. Creating these experiences, however, is not just delivering a cool front end. There's a lot more to it. So let's get started. Welcome, Theo and Elias. Theo, can we start with you and can you tell us a bit about yourself? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. It's always a delight to talk to Elias and team. Um, So I am the founder of Unconventional Venture. And uh, it's a small petite consulting firm that look at what we call the forgotten demographics and their needs. So we focus a lot of our work on working with founders that look at solutions for gig economy workers, for older generation, as well as for female founders. Um, these are There are a lot of needs within our society, and we want to do what we can to equal the playing field. So in addition to that, we also host our own podcast. We do a lot of writing and a lot of speaking around the world. Now, turning to Elias, can you share a bit about yourself and what you do at Capgemini? Hi to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Marilyn, for hosting us today. So yes, I'm Elias Ganem, and I run the market intelligence team for financial services. And I like to describe us as we are the outside-in perspective. We love to gather point of views, uh, trends, ideas, use cases, and put them across reports and build story around it. And as such, we produce the world reports about the different topics in the banking and insurance industry. Well, thanks to both of you for sharing your backgrounds. This should be a really interesting and insightful discussion, so let's just jump right in. Right now, the world has essentially gone virtual with the ongoing pandemic. Uh, What do you both think will be the impact on the competition or collaboration between traditional and challenger banks? Let's start with Theo. Can you share your thoughts? Yes, it's uh, definitely really interesting times that we live in in here. Um, We can dissect it in multiple ways, right? So one is... Since we are all isolated at home, we don't really have access to um, go outside, meet with people, or, you know, in many cases, we can't even go to a branch. It forces consumers to change their habits, right? We're buying more things online. We are getting used to having our food delivered or groceries delivered. And so we are getting, we're using more and more digital, I think, for both challenger banks as well as for traditional incumbents they are seeing a much higher usage of their digital applications. And so that's a good news in a sense, because we have always been trying to move the industry along um, when it comes to uh, digital transformation. The other side of the coin is it brings to the forefront, what is the viability for a lot of these challenger banks, especially many of them aren't quite really turning a profit just yet. And they're relying on venture funding. And so in that sense, I think the next six to nine months is going to be really interesting in looking at who is going to survive and how they would change their model so that they can actually better service the customer needs. Because 
this is a perfect time to actually rethink your model and putting the customer in the center of what you're doing. That's really true, Theo. And and also, it's just now finding that cash with the economy the way it is with the pandemic. So, Elias, let's. Um, would you like to add anything to this? Um, well, let me add to what Theo is saying. Who would have thought that we would be drinking, looking at a Zoom screen? Today, we our life is on Zoom. We spend our life interacting with each other through a digital channel. And when it comes to payments, it's exactly the same. When it comes to eating, to food, to whatever, the only way is a digital channel and a digital payment. So the digital adoption of payment was already happening and exponentially accelerated. The main problem is we have found that there was a gap here between what customers were looking for, what challenger banks was, were already offering, and what traditional banks were not offering. And clearly, the adoption of digital payments gave an opportunity for the challenger banks to become upstream and has identified the opportunities for improvement on the traditional one. That's so true, Elias. I, I can, it's sort of changed everything overnight, really. Okay, so let's move on to the next question. And then it starts with, according to the World FinTech Report 2020, 50% of customers don't have an integrated banking experience with their traditional bank. Why do you think that despite heavy investments to improve, banks have struggled to deliver a good and integrated last mile experience, something similar to the new age players? And Elias, let's begin with you on this one. I would say we've been uh, very surprised by that. So analyze the data and clearly I think we can summarize it by the banks have seen the open banking approach as a regulatory driven one. You need to open yourself to others. You need to be able to share your data with others. So they've done it. They've done it just to comply with the rule. But what, what uh, the challenger banks have done is they moved beyond open banking and into an open X mentality, X for experience, where it's not about uh, how much data I can use, but it's how many people, how many options I can connect with, and I can offer a fully end-to-end -end experience. And that's why today on a challenger bank, I could get many services embedded under the name of the challenger bank, while when I talk to my traditional bank, I need to go one service at a time to, uh, to get from them. So my reaction is very integrated on the challenger bank, very not integrated with my traditional players. And are you saying then that OpenX is the way for the traditional incumbent bank to become more integrated? That's exactly. In fact, the OpenX concept is a concept that we uh, launched late last year and saying the evolution from open banking to OpenX. And what is OpenX? X for experience. And in fact, it's the sum of an exchange of information and data summed up with an expedite innovation, do it fast, that will deliver the right experience, the right customer experience. The sum of them is what we describe as OpenX, where a customer gets what he wants through an open marketplace of financial and non-financial services providers. Thank you, Elias. Now I want to turn to Theo. What's your take on all of this? 
I agree with what Elias say. Um, I think there are two challenges to getting to it, though. Um, one is obviously the the cultural differences, right? Because this is how we've always done it for the last hundred years. It's a big institution, a hundred plus. Um, all the processes, a lot of the things, has been structured a certain way. People are structured in a certain way. So to change all of that to accommodate looking at things from a different lens will take time. And you need changes in culture, changes in people and personnel. And I think the other challenge also is to the, the legacy infrastructure that a lot of these incumbents have, because you can't just layer new processes on top of something that, you know, it's, it's old and, and work in a different way. And so as much as they try to look at things um, and streamline them from an end-to-end -end perspective, you still have this spaghetti of, of infrastructure in the bottom that you need to clear out first before you can actually get the data. So they will have a bunch of data, but data having data is not just the first challenge, right? Being able to glean insights out from the data and make use of it, that's how you can get to the next level. And that's what I think a lot of them are struggling with. And then there's also the whole issue of the current COVID environment. I mean, right now, banks are looking to optimize expenses and then streamline their middle and back office. And how do you think banks should proceed with this dilemma of transformation, you know, given what we're all experiencing now and with COVID? Uh, Theo, let's start with you. It's, um, it's, it's challenging um, in, in multiple levels. First is the mode of working is different, right? I remember reading an article in Financial Times that talk about a lot of the institutions in Japan, for example, their processes are set up so that you need wet signatures to get things done. You need people to be in the office to move things around. And so when we're all in COVID uh, lockdown, if you will, it involves a lot of changing how we work. And then from that, you can think about, you know, how do we make things more efficient and how do we make it more effective? Um, I think one thing of caution, I would always say when we talk about expenses, um, and, and making things more running more optimized way when we're changing things is make sure you put customer in the middle. You always, always do. Um, if you're changing any of your processes, any of your systems and trying to make things work in a new environment, you always have to start from the customer journey. How do the bank's customers come in? What things do they need? What things do they do? How do they touch it? And then transform your processes that way. Thank you, Theo. And Elias, do you have anything to add? I wanted to come back to what you said earlier on about the challenger banks in this current situation where challenger banks need investment, need engagement with the corporate. To They need their cash to be profitable and to do business. And in our latest fintech report, we mentioned a point, we called it the COVID dilemma, where on one side, Traditional banks has identified that their digital experience is not good. And you gave a very good example, unfortunately, and we have many of them like this where physical presence is a must in the flow. So banks need to improve their digital experience, no doubt about it. The only problem, banks today has also, because of the COVID, a serious challenge with investing. They need to cut. They need to cut costs. They need to cut everything to save the their, their balance sheet. So innovating without investing is an impossible place. And that's the first side of the dilemma. The second side of the dilemma 
is the, the startups. Startups can innovate, but they need cash. And the cash, they either get it from the investors or they get it from the banks. So we are in a vicious circle where banks should innovate by can't. Startups can innovate by don't have the money. And I think the opportunity here is to turn this vicious circle into a virtuous one where banks realize that on their own, they will not be able to innovate because they don't have the means to do it now. And they start giving business more and more business and trust to the startups ecosystem and to the most mature one. We call them the scale-up. So they choose the right scale-up and they collaborate with them at scale to create the famous OpenX that we mentioned earlier on. And that's the only way out of this dilemma where investment is needed, but money is missing. Transactional investment is what startups could, could bring. Thank you, Elliot. And, you know, this also sort of turns into, you know, what's really important right now in the, the current situation, and that is the proven interdependence between banks and fintechs. You know, why do you think collaboration efforts between these players have not really yielded the results that we expected them to? Althea, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, I think it all goes back to people, right? Code, writing code is the easy part. That's the ones and the zeros. Making people work, that's the hard part because you will have people from the banks, you have people from the um, startups, the fintech startups. They are used to different environments. The people that they hire are mostly from different backgrounds. So finding a way to make it work requires a lot of work. Building a sustainable partnership is needed, much, much needed, especially at this point to what Elias is just talking about. But it needs maturity and it needs collaboration. You need to be ready to do that, right? And so it goes back to having the right people, having the right business mindset, having the right process maturity, all of which you covered um, in your recent report. All of that is important. And also identify what are the customer journeys that you actually want to reinvent, right? We don't go out and say, oh, I'm just going to go find a fintech startup to partner with because that's what everyone is doing. What exactly are you trying to achieve? What do you want to get to? We need to think about that. Definitely. And Elias, do you have anything to add? I think you put it very well in the sense that uh, the words that I liked most in what you said is maturity and willingness. And to, to give an, uh, some reality behind that, in our latest fintech report, we talked about a global benchmark that we, we are doing. We call it the OpenX Readiness Index. It's the way to measure the readiness of a corporate to collaborate at scale with the startup ecosystem. And to do that, we are reviewing the four pillars of collaboration, which are people, to Tio's point earlier on, finance, the willingness to work together financially, business traction, willingness to collaborate and to solve business problems, and finally, the technology. Do we have the right mentality, the right structure, the right infrastructure, cloud, API, and so on, to interact? We call that the four pillars of collaboration. And then we look into the four moments of effective collaboration. And these are open innovation, meeting each other. Then it's about evaluation. 
choosing the right partner to uh, work with at scale. The third one is acculturation. Are we ready? Are we ready to collaborate with the other? The other is different. The other is small. The other is big. The one is old. The one is young. Are we able to collaborate and are we acculturated? And the final one is industrialization. How many of these ideas ended up in a POC versus how many of these ideas went up to scale? And we interviewed 60 banks across all the globe. And out of the 60 banks out of, uh, across the globe, only three came up in our top right corner, which is I am ready to collaborate at scale. I have the right people, finance, business, and technology. And I delivered collaboration at scale. Only three out of the 60. Most of them are neither ready to collaborate at scale, not have delivered success. So clearly there is a lot yet to be done to bring these two people together. Okay. So there's a lot to be done. Is there a way of like prioritizing areas that banks and fintechs could work together to collaborate more effectively? I mean, simply put, where do you start? Uh, Theo, do you have any ideas on this? That is a very wide question. And I would, I would say almost to each institution, it could be a little different because of where their strengths are and who they serve. But one important thing we need to and we must recognize is that there are a lot of customers that are in need right now, right? And their livelihood is at stake. A lot of small businesses, they either face closure or they don't exactly know how to proceed. Um, a big topic of light is the PPP loans in the United States or, you know, in similar forms within the EU and, and whatnot. How do financial institutions, as well as fintech, rise to the challenge to do what they do best and to service these particular customers? I think that's the first and foremost. So a few areas that are really interesting um, that I'm seeing popping up is one is the entire customer journey, right? How do you onboard customers? That's always been one of the struggle. How do you onboard people in the bank so that you don't actually need to go to the bank? Um, how do you enable a more end-to-end -end solution to Ilya's point in the very beginning? Um, I would always go back to an example with my own bank um, experience. It's a large bank institution, but as of last week, I actually had to personally go to an ATM machine, withdraw cash from one of my accounts, and then deposit the cash with another ATM card in another account because I simply could not transfer funds from one to the other. Now, we're at 2020. We really should not be doing this. So what can institutions do, startups or incumbents, do to, to create a more delightful customer experience? I think that's the first and foremost. So that goes to transactions, that goes to customer service. How can they use more emerging technology AI to service the customers? I think those will be interesting areas to focus on. And Elias, what do you think? Well, I echo so much what you said. Each one of us has his ugly story. So let me come with mine. Well, some time back before COVID, I started, I renegotiated a mortgage that I had. Rates are low and I compared everybody. And finally, my bank, my own bank, gave me the best rate. And, and we, we agreed through emails to go forward. And I said, fantastic, what do we do? And now, bingo, the guy said, I'm sending you by mail the contract, you need to sign every single page and return it to me. And then 
it will take four months for the process to happen. But don't don't worry. We will re, uh, refund you all the money. And so I try to tell him, look, I can't receive your mail. And why do we need to wait four months? Why don't you send it to me electronically? And I sign it. And the guy look at me saying, like, it seems that I was talking to him, I don't know, in Chinese, with Japanese and with some Italian. The guy like, what do you mean by digital signature? To, to Theo's point, we are in 2020 and digital signature is all over the place. But I love when the guy told me, again, don't worry, we will refund you the money. This is means cost, a wrong experience, processes, and overcharging, over impact emotionally for me, because I am paying ahead and then getting the money back, and an overcharge for the bank itself. So clearly for me, if I were to pick one battle, it's digital onboarding. If I were to pick two approaches to it, it's platform, uh, technology, make a, pl- make a business, uh, create a platform, join a platform, uh, collaborate with one that are on platform. And last is culture, except to move away from consensus-driven business, where banks are quite good at, i.e. slow to decide, to jump into the deep ocean and swim. Because if not, the customers will go to the other one next to you. And my last question today is around effective collaboration. Capgemini's research is showing that the world is evolving from open banking, where the bank is mandated by the regulator to open itself to third parties, to open X where large and small FS and non-FS players come together to offer the best experience. So keeping this in mind, how can banks ensure that their collaboration with the open ecosystem goes beyond a proof of concept and into a scalable product that could be industrialized, which means taken to the masses or makes a quantifiable difference to the operations of the bank? Elias, how do you think banks can do this? If you can put it in two single words, is my message to the bank is become inventive bank. Move away from being a traditional bank into inventive bank. Accept to collaborate, accept to change the culture, accept to move from a traditional role, a universal bank where you do everything, into a specialized role. You could be the producer of some activities and allow others to distribute them. You could take from others their uh, solutions and be the distributor of them. Or you could orchestrate a new ecosystem or join a platform of third parties. And here two examples that are quite interesting is BBVA and JP Morgan that have mentioned that they will be working with uh, Amazon to sell their product on the Amazon platform uh, as uh, Amazon being the orchestrator of the new ecosystem. But clearly the message is being a universal bank where you produce and you distribute everything will not allow you to move fast. Leverage your strengths, become an inventive bank, and focus, depending on what you do best, on being a producer, an aggregator, or an orchestrator of new experiences. So Theo, do you agree? I absolutely agree wholeheartedly, actually, when Elias was talking about that. I I can think of examples in Singapore, for example, DBS Bank, that has done it quite well. If you think about their long history of, you know, being a bank, they're servicing the demographics that they have to where they are now doing a lot of collaboration with different fintech startups. 
And doing exactly what Elias is doing, recognizing that you cannot be the producer for everything, right? You need to focus on the outcomes. And there is a term I'm going to borrow from, from your report called applied innovation. And I think it's really, really true. It's looking at what are you trying to achieve? And then who is going to consume the innovation and adopt the innovation? Who are the players, the scale-ups that you want to work with to create that experience for your end customer? Looking at the end goal, I think that that's the most important thing. Recognizing that you cannot be the only one who does everything for your customers. And leveraging your strengths and determining where you should be. Yes, I, I agree with you. So um, as we wrap up today's podcast, do either of you have any final thoughts? I think collaborate now, collaborate at scale, and accept to take risk. That's the way, that's the recipe to survive the COVID and come out, out of it on the strength side rather than on the weak, weakest side. And I'll add to that, don't forget to be customer-centric. Um, I think at the end of the day, what you can do for your customers, especially when they're in time of crisis, goes a long way to gain their loyalty. And also they will remember that you were there for them. That is so true. They will remember, especially in times like this, they will remember that you were there for them. Well, thank you, Theo and Elias, for joining me and sharing your insights. To our listeners, if you found this podcast interesting, please subscribe to Capgemini's Banking, Payments, and Wealth podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast apps. If you want to listen to more podcasts from Capgemini, please subscribe to our Insurance Insights podcast. We'll be back with another podcast soon. And in the meantime, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter and visit capgemini.com to download the World Fintech Report 2020. This podcast has been brought to you by Capgemini Financial Services. Thanks for listening.